thank you for each testimony given tonight. Thank you for our assembly together here. We thank you for our church and what you have done through our congregation, how you've kept us serving you and kept us moving in the right direction. We thank you for the one that that was baptized this morning and, Lord, others that have uh, made professions of faith and have been dealt with with uh, concerning their salvation. We just thank and praise you for that work. We thank you for answering prayers and keeping us safe and just directing us, Lord, that we may be your servants. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's turn in our Bibles to uh, Hebrews chapter 9, if we can. Um, are we dismissing? Okay. All the little ones. Uh, and... Uh, I did get over to see Bob Cook in the uh, rehab. Uh, things are progressing well. Supposed to have his uh, knee replaced uh, September 7th. So pray for him. And uh, once they put the replacement in, it'll be uh, several weeks of, of exercise, I mean therapy there. And hopefully then he'll be back home and soon be able to be back in the um, in church again and um, okay yes there it is okay just looking for one reference that slipped my mind okay uh, Hebrews chapter 9 it says then verily the first covenant, had also ordinances of divine service and a worldly sanctuary. For there was a tabernacle made, the first wherein was the candlestick and the table and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of alls, which had the golden censer, And the ark of the covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had manna, and Aaron's rod that had that budded, and the tables of the covenant. And over it the cherubims of glory, shadowing the mercy seat, of which we cannot now speak particularly. Now when these things were thus ordained, the priest went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. But into the second went the high priest alone, once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the errors of the people. The Holy Ghost, this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest, while as the first tabernacle, which was yet standing, which was a figure for the time then present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience, which stood only in meats and drinks and diverse washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of Reformation, but Christ. And we'll stop reading right there with the first two words of verse 11. Now tonight, what I would like for us to do, and... Uh, I hope this won't be too taxing on our interpreters here. 
but uh, is to summarize, to go through the picture, the workings of the tabernacle. And we're not going to be able to cover everything in uh, uh, superb detail. Otherwise, we'd need to be here a whole series uh, of Sunday nights. But uh, I want you to picture in your mind, if you would, the outer court of the tabernacle. When it was put up, it was a linen fence set on wooden poles that were overlaid with brass about seven feet high. So that would be somewhere right in this neighborhood here. Uh, It was high enough that you could not see over it. You could not see through it. What went on inside the tabernacle was separate from all else that went on in the camp of Israel. When the tabernacle was set up, if you'll remember, at first it was in the center of the camp, and the children of Israel would camp around it on four different troops on each side. Uh, Later on, after the golden calf and things, the tabernacle uh, was removed over to without the camp, uh, uh, separate from the camp, I think, Uh, Most of us understand that later on, after things were settled with the golden calf and all of that, that the tabernacle was brought back into the center of the camp. In the 40 years that the children of Israel traveled through the wilderness, the tabernacle went with them everywhere they went. Now, there's something important about a tabernacle. In fact, some of the old churches back in the 20s and the 30s up into the 40s and 50s, it was in vogue. It was a uh, uh, thing that many pastors did. They would call their church Baptist Tabernacle or uh, uh, Baptist Temple sometimes. Uh, some very famous Baptist churches, including the one in Brooklyn, uh, that is now defunct, closed, as far as I understand. Uh, used to be one of the most famous Baptist churches in the United States. The last uh, really Bible-preaching pastor they had was a Scottish man named McGinley in the 40s. And uh, they'd even had the great preacher J. Frank Norris come up from Dallas, uh, Fort Worth, Texas, to preach there in the Brooklyn church. And uh, he was known as the Texas Tornado. Uh, if you want to study history, he was really one of the founders of what we now call the Independent Baptist Movement. Uh, it wasn't that he necessarily left the Southern Baptist Convention. The Southern Baptist Convention left him. Uh, they put him out, and uh, because of his stand on uh Holiness and his stand on things that were right. He preached a sermon one Sunday morning naming all of the deacons in Baptist churches in the Dallas-Fort Worth area that held stock in liquor stores. And that sermon was printed in the uh, newspaper. And, of course, uh, the death threats flooded in and all kinds of terrible things ensued. And uh, this was after... um, uh, Mr. Roosevelt, <clears throat> uh, no, uh, yeah, it's hard to say that name without wanting to spit. Uh, sorry, uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, after he repealed prohibition and brought liquor back and financed all of his cronies and things, Dr. Norris spoke out against this. Baptist Temple, Baptist Tabernacle, they were 
what they were doing is these pastors were trying to go back to and make a connection to the Old Testament tabernacle. The word tabernacle just simply means tent. It is a temporary dwelling. When the tabernacle was first built, it moved with the children of Israel. It always faced the same direction, no matter where they went. That was put up, and as the morning sun would come up over the eastern horizon, it would show in the only entrance to that tabernacle courtyard on the east side. And the first thing that we get about the tabernacle is the word separation. The closest the Jewish people could get was at the door of the tabernacle. There were certain instances, very rare indeed, where they could go through that gate and stand right there beside the brazen altar. But unless you were a direct descendant of Aaron, consecrated as a priest, dressed in the garments of the priest, you didn't get past the gate. You didn't get past the entrance. God wants us to understand something with the tabernacle. We're not all the children of God. You have to be saved. In the New Testament, when God saved us, read Revelation chapter 1, Revelation chapter 4, Revelation chapter 5. Thou hast made us what? Kings and priests unto our God. You see, that's why we, I do not wear the title priest and why no pastor in a Baptist church has that title or that name because every believer in Jesus Christ has access to God. That's what being a priest is all about. That's what the tabernacle is all about, is having access to God. Now, I want you to keep your finger here in Hebrews chapter 9 and turn with me to Exodus 25. And I want to make a connection from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Now, God has given Moses' direction, and they are building the tabernacle at Moses' direction. The men that God had given special abilities and understanding to were in charge of the project. But here's what God told him in verse 40 of Exodus chapter 25. And look that thou make them after their pattern, which was showed thee... In the mount. Now, God had told Moses that you be careful. You are to oversee the making of each of these articles of furniture uh, that are mentioned here in Hebrews chapter 9. And they are to be made after the pattern that was shewed or showed to, to Moses. Now, Let's ask the question, where did Moses see the pattern of the things that he was making? How many of you would like to take a guess that happened during the 40 days and 40 nights, the second time Moses went up on Mount Sinai and got the second copy 
uh, of the laws of God and all of the uh, regulations and the ceremonies regarding the tabernacle. That was all given to Moses. That's one of the reasons it took 40 days and, and 40 nights for Moses to get all of these things. And he was showed a pattern. He was showed the real things in heaven. And God told him, I want you to make just like those for the tabernacle, for the medium of worship. You see, the Jewish people, if they were going to approach God, if they were going to worship God, they had to do it after the pattern. They had to do it after the plan. They had to do it according to all of the regulations that God had given them. The tabernacle was made, it was reared up, it was waterproof, it was all of the things that it needed to be to travel in the desert. And they went and they set it up. Only the priest consecrated, dressed in the garments of the priest, entered the tabernacle. And God is trying to help us understand that the service of the tabernacle is for those that have a direct relationship with God. Don't ever get over the fact that when you get saved, God says you are born into my family. He says that Jesus in Hebrews chapter 2 is not ashamed to call us his brethren. That makes us priests, does it not? With direct access to God. In the days of the children of Israel, only the sons of Aaron were allowed in the courtyard of the tabernacle. So there were some things that went on daily in that tabernacle. And I'd like to spend just a few minutes. Most of us have been over this before, but think with me. In the morning, the priest who was consecrated, the priest who were fulfilling the duties, would either have their tents right outside the tabernacle or even in the back of the courtyard of the tabernacle proper. They were consecrated, when they were consecrated to the priesthood, they were not allowed to go out. They, they stayed right there. And they served the Lord every morning. The first thing that would happen is the priest would clean the ashes off the brazen altar. He would rekindle a fire from the embers that were burning all night. How many of you have ever been in a situation where you had to build a fire that would burn all night? Anybody? Just a few? It, it's not something that you do by accident, my friend. It, it's something that you have to prepare. It takes a lot of wood. I mean, I've, I've made some campfires and... Uh, uh, sometimes it was very cold outside and we would use the campfire for heat and things like that. But I'll tell you what, in the morning, it was cold as dust. Uh, it didn't last all night. But the priest had to have a fire that would burn all night. And in the morning, 
that fire had to be rekindled and the morning sacrifice was offered. As he offered that morning sacrifice, he would then wash his hands and his feet and go into the sanctuary. Every Sabbath day, fresh showbread would be put on the table of bread. Every morning and every evening, the wicks that were burning in the candlestick would be trimmed, all of the ashes off of them, and the reservoirs refilled so that there would be light in the tabernacle. Once that was done, he would have a few of the coals left over from the brazen altar, and he would put those in order on the golden altar before the veil. And he would sprinkle the morning incense. And that incense would smolder all day long until just as the sun was setting, he would offer the evening sacrifice, he would retrim the candlestick, and he would put a new, he would sweep the dust and the ashes off of the golden altar, he would put new embers on there, and he would have and a new offering of incense that would smolder and give off its odor all through the night. It would take a great deal of skill to perform these acts. Every time his hands would get dirty or anything would happen, he would have to go back out to the laver and, and wash himself and make sure that he was clean the water in the labor would have to be changed sometimes, uh, depending on the number of people that offered sacrifice during the day. It, it may have to be changed hourly if it was a busy day. On Passover, the water would have had to been changed continually so that the sacrifices could be ready because the whole nation of Israel would be preparing. On the Day of Atonement, as we read in Hebrews chapter 9, the high priest would enter into the Most Holy. Now, when I was a little kid, someone kept talking about the Holy of Holies. And that phrase is just stuck in my head, but it's nowhere in your Bible. Not a place. It is called the Holy Place and the Most Holy Place. That is a picture of our eternal redemption. Is the blood sprinkled on the mercy seat in the most holy place. That was done once a year. As we read through the book of Hebrews and chapter 9, verse 8 says, The Holy Ghost, this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest, while as the first tabernacle was yet standing. You read into chapter 10 and it would say that in those sacrifices there was a reminder or a remembrance of sin. But Jesus came to set us free. Not only to give us a ceremony that we could participate in, but to purge our conscience and our soul from dead works to serve the living God. So here's what the picture is. Jesus has already taken care of the blood-sprinkled mercy seat, which, if we can understand, 
is the very throne of Almighty God. The veil was rent, showing that access directly to God by those who are saved has been affected. Now, let me ask you a question. If the only light you could have came from the golden candlestick that you maintain in your life, how well will you see? If your only source of bread is the table of showbread, how well would you eat? You see, God had ordained a few things in this tabernacle to help us understand our relationship with God. Please, walk with me. In the morning, we've got to keep the fire going on the brazen altar. It is never to go out. The symbolism there is the death of ourselves. We fight with ourselves all the time. Your biggest obstacle to serving God is you. No one else. It's you. How do you get rid of you? Get the fire hot on the brazen altar. Amen? Consume the sacrifice. It is the coals from off the brazen altar that burn the incense on the golden altar. How many of you remember uh, Aaron's... Uh, sons, Nadab and Abihu, they offered strange fire. They got fire that was not from the brazen altar to offer the incense on the golden altar, and God destroyed them. In fact, this is the only instance in the Bible where we have the priest dying in the carrying out of the ceremony in the tabernacle was Aaron's eldest sons who purposefully and by their own choice disregarded the instructions that God had given them and offered their own fire upon that altar. Where they got it from, I don't know. But if you want to pray and have God accept those prayers... We've got to get rid of ourselves first. It is that process of telling myself no. It is that process of the brazen altar that supplies the fire that causes me to pray. What's the James say? The effectual, fervent prayer. That means continuous effectual, having obtained its uh, goal. And fervent simply means hot. I'll tell you, you don't burn much incense with cold embers. And we're not going to have our prayers answered. We're not going to get what we need. God is not going to be able to use us in the way that He wants 
until we allow His Word to consume us on the brazen altar. As we walk through this life, guess what? We live in an unclean world, do we not? We live among unclean people, do we not? That's what the water of the washing of the Word is all about. It is keeping ourselves clean. How many of you have ever been doing a really nasty job and then it's lunch break and you get about halfway through lunch and forget that you didn't wash your hands and you're sitting there going, Oh no, what am I doing? Would you do that? No, I always remember to wash my hands. I I would never forget. That's just not who I am. I mean, what we really need is Brother Franz to illustrate this point. I mean, Mr. Germophobic himself. Uh, he would never, ever do that. In fact, oh, I'll tell you, it's a gross joke. But we used to, when I worked at the nursing home, we always would break in the new people. Uh, on purpose, not that we hadn't done this. We washed our hands. We'd be there during the first lunch break and somebody would look, Oh, I forgot to wash my hands. And uh, the new guy would turn, or lady would turn green. And, and uh, sometimes they would go running out of the place and never come back. And it was just one of those mean things that uh, we uh, nurses' aides would do late at night in the break room to freak people out. But let me, let me just tell you something. When we forget that washing of the water of the Word, it's like eating, eating our food. You can, you can die from eating food with unwashed hands, can't you? You can take organisms, especially if you're camping in the wilderness... Uh, they always say, don't drink the water. Well, just a minute. If you wash your hands with the water and then eat food with it, you're drinking the water. And you can get some terrible upsets to your digestive tract. Shall we just end it there? You boil the water before you wash your hands in it. You know something? We as Christians need to take time to wash. There have been many times working at Union. Who turned out the lights? Why are the lights so dim? Then I take off my safety glasses. And there is an inch, or I'm not an inch, but I mean they're just so caked with dust and things that I can't see through them. And so I will clean them off, and all of a sudden it's just like, hey, somebody turned on the lights. That's what the labor is all about. We can't see clearly. We can't feed ourselves 
unless we're clean first. Our prayers aren't going to be answered unless the impetus of those prayers is the death of ourself and our desires. Because we don't want what God wants. We want what we want. But if we can get rid of our wants and start wanting what God wants and get the things that we, we just went over that verse in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, touch not, come out from among them, touch not the unclean thing. And God says, I will be a father and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Hey, do you see the picture here? First of all, you got to be a priest. You got to be consecrated. You got to be dressed properly. You've got to walk into and be in the confines of the tabernacle. You got to keep that fire burning. It is so hard. If you don't do it, that old flesh will resurrect. That old, those desires will come and try to write themselves over the Word of God. You have got to get rid of self. Stop and think, those of you that have children, how much you have to give mothers every day. All the diapers, all the food, all the training. You know what? That's why Paul said the woman's supposed to guide the house. But you know what our problem in our society is today? We have mothers and fathers who raise their children to satisfy or to relive their failed attempts at life. There's nothing that destroys a kid like that. You want your kids to love God? You get rid of self and teach your kids to love God. Can we say amen about that? That's the picture in the tabernacle. Do you see it? Are you with me? How do you keep giving? You keep burning yourself. Amen? You keep getting that fuel. You keep that fire hot and the flame consuming so that you do not have a chance to sit up and raise up against God and against His Word. You get the ashes off your hands and, and the uh, other things from the offering of the sacrifice at the brazen, um, brazen labor. Then you can walk into the sanctuary, the holy place, where I commune with God. And I'll have the fire that offers my prayers. I'm out of the equation. Amen? I'll be able to see clearly by the light of the candlestick. And my nourishment will come from the bread of life. And by the way, the veil is gone. And all of these things happen directly before the mercy seat on top of the Ark of the Covenant. Before the very throne of God. This is the picture. I don't know about you, but I I like to at times just sit down in my own mind and walk through the tabernacle. What have I done lately to get rid of me? 
not enough. How about you? How many times have I tried to get into the holy place with unwashed hands? That's sick. That's pretty gross, isn't it? Let's go back and let's spend enough time. You know why there's so much Bible here? The washing of the water of the Word. You're never going to run out. You can't memorize this whole thing. You need to spend time in this book. And by the way, the more time you spend, the cleaner your hands are. Amen? Amen? And when you get to the point where you're trying to be fed with the words of God, you'll get a good meal. When you need light to see and to understand God's direction, the candlestick will burn brightly and the coals will be hot. Uh, I was going through some notes and we spent about six or eight weeks on a series. Does anybody remember the art of the apothecary? And, And... we talked about how that those that incense had to be carefully crafted and it was special ingredients and everything was in equal weight and it was all put together after the art of the apothecary. You know, sometimes, I'm just speaking for myself, but I think I can speak for most of us here, we get so busy trying to get things done that we have... Very little effort left over for the artistry of our prayer life, of our communication with God. So oftentimes it's just, dear God, help me do this and help me do that. And dear Lord, you know the needs that we have. And If someone talked to you like that, would you answer them? There was an artistry involved here. There was some beauty. There was an incredible amount of work that went into this whole thing. My friend, let's look at verse 24. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but in the heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor yet that he should offer himself often as a high priest entereth into the holy place every year with the blood of others, for then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Jesus took care of the sacrifice of the blood sprinkled on the mercy seat. But there's no word of rescinding the daily sacrifice. The daily trimming of the lamps. The weekly replacing of the showbread. Those are things you and I are supposed to live each and every day. Could we take a few moments... And just ask God to convict us and to help us to be a little bit more careful.
about how we approach Him, how we offer our prayers, how we walk through this daily life. Amen? Let's bow our heads. And all God's people said, Amen. All right, we'll have the teens dismissed at this time. The rest of us, let's take our prayer list. Fourth Sunday of the month. Please continue to pray uh, about our church. Praise the Lord. Uh, while the attendance has been down, we have seen souls saved and baptized, especially over the last... Uh